Good morning. It is good to be with you. And um, just maybe a note on a housekeeping matter. My wife didn't appreciate it a couple of weeks ago when I told you a story. She said I should have told you the whole story about how I hurt my foot. Not the made-up story that my four-year-old neighbor believed. Do you ever notice just how sometimes dumb just follows you? You know, Daniel Boone saw me that Sunday morning and said, Preacher, you're old enough to know better and you're still a little too young to care. And that's probably true. I was rock climbing and I jumped down from the wall and just wrecked my ankle. And that's, that's the real story. So I like the first story better where Kathy was angry, kicked me in the ankle. And that's how I ended up how we are. I appreciated Danny Parmalee being with us last week and speaking to us from Acts uh, chapter 2. was able to watch the live stream of that in the second service. And I was really encouraged by his message to us. Uh, it was a great message for us as a church. Uh, and I had the privilege this past week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, of being in Maryland, uh, Silver Springs, Maryland, at the Mount Jezreel Baptist Church uh, with Pastor Eldridge Spearman. And this was their 16th year to have what they call the Church Alive Conference and my dad and I spent three days there talking about church transitions and pastoral transitions. And it was just great. They were gracious hosts. And I'll be honest with you, I absolutely knew that I liked their church when I looked up one day and I saw a man pushing a cart in their church. And I thought, what, what is that? And I looked a little closer and I was like, that can't be. But it is. It was an ice cream cart. And this man was passing out ice cream. And I, I asked Brother Dennis, I said, Brother Dennis, you just became the most important man in the world to me. Tell me about the ministry of ice cream. And he said, this summer our men's ministry decided we were going to push this ice cream cart around after all of our services. And so after their 8 o'clock service, you can get ice cream. After 11 o'clock service, you can get ice cream. They just hand it out to you as you're leaving. And I don't know about you, and I don't know what Pastor Brad has planned for the men's ministry of this church, but I vote today that we get an ice cream cart now. Uh, it made me so happy to have an ice cream cart at church. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I hope that you'll make plans to be here tonight as Pastor Gene leads us in James as we continue to move through the book of James. We'll be doing that. Tonight I have a special privilege to be with one of our mentors in Decatur, Alabama. Some of you will know the name um, Brother Doug Ripley. Uh, and some of you may not be familiar with Brother Doug Ripley, but Doug, Brother Doug Ripley was our mentor, and his church was our mentor church when we started the Global Focus Missions Ministry here at Judson. And they're having a revival tonight, and I'm getting the opportunity to speak with them. And Global Focus is how we do all of our missions. And just thinking about Global Focus, we've had a couple of our teams come back. Uh, we had a great trip that went to Maryland uh, to be with Phil and Pam Gifford, uh, and just heard great things about uh, that team that included some of our students all the way up to some of our senior adults. Uh, our Paris team just got back, and they just had a wonderful uh, mission trip over there with Matt and Mary. And as we talk about that, all of that's leading in September to our Global Impact Celebration. And if you're not familiar with what a Global Impact Celebration is because you haven't been here for one yet, let me just quickly explain what that is because it's really important to the life of our church. Global Impact Celebration is a week where we invite all of our mission partners to come back so that you can meet them and interact with them. It's a fantastic week for you to be able to understand what's going on around the world, what God is doing around the world, 
And as you interact with them, it kind of binds our hearts uh, together. And that's going to be taking place the week of September 23rd. Uh, And when we do that, one of the things that we do every year is what's called a one-day project. You know that a lot of those one-day projects have centered around a ministry called Faith Comes by Hearing that takes the Bible translations and dramatizes them to put them on uh, the heart language of people. We don't think about it like this, but God doesn't speak English, right? That's not his, that's not his only language. He, he speaks all the 6,000 languages of the world, but if you don't know that, if you've never heard the Bible in your own language, if you've had to translate the Bible just to be able to read it, you, you lose sight of the fact of how close and personal God really is to us. And so when we think about it like this and talk about uh, Faith Comes by Hearing, that's a fantastic ministry. We've already done, I think, six languages with them. And this year, we're going to do a one-day offering to do another language with them. And we're also working with one of their mission partners, uh, Pioneer Bible Translators. Pioneer Bible Translators translates the Bible, then hands it over to Faith Comes by Hearing so that they can do the dramatized version. And their director, Greg Pruitt of Pioneer Bible, is going to be with us. It'll be a good opportunity for us. So begin preparing now for your heart to be ready to give and to engage and to go with our mission partners. It's going to be a a good season for us coming up. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. We're really getting close to finishing our study of the book of Joshua. We have this week and one more. And as you're turning there, I'm going to ask the guys, we're going to put up our our memory verse. And uh, you don't have a lot to go on today. Uh, So this is kind of the last week for that. Uh, After next week, we have one more week in Joshua. And after that, we're actually going to be Uh, moving into the Sermon on the Mount and studying the Beatitudes for a while and allowing God to to work through those first, uh, that first sermon that Jesus really gave, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we'll break that up as we go, but let's say our memory verse together. It's Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1, 9. Now we'll have a new verse pack for you with the Beatitudes and we'll have another verse pack for you for the other parts of the Sermon on the Mount. So be looking for those in a couple of weeks and you pick those up at the Next Step Center. Uh, If you haven't been here for some of these messages in the book of Joshua, I want to encourage you to listen to them online because this book has been rich with application for all of our lives. And I just remind you, if you don't have a Bible today, that you can pick one up at the Next Step Center. But the, the verses will be on the screen. But we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. And we're only going to look at two verses really today. It's verse 14 and 15 of Joshua chapter 24. And one of these verses may be familiar uh, to you. Uh, but, but these are good, rich verses for us this morning as we talk about what it means when God draws a line in the sand. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods your father served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord Joshua's beginning to think about the end of his life here we know that he's around 110 years old and he's he's looking at the end of his life thinking that the end of his ministry is upon him he's not going to be leading the nation for much longer and he knows what's about to happen as he finishes out his time on earth and he does something interesting he begins to give three discourses or speeches and this is one of them and the one that we're looking at today is probably the most famous of the three that he gave Uh, and if you look back to verse 1 of chapter 24 we're not going to read this but if you look back to it what you begin to see is that Joshua starts 
to give a history of all that God has done with the nation of Israel. Now, that's really important for us to see because we're, we're never separated from what God has done in the past. That's really important that you understand that. As God's weaving your life story together, it's a tapestry, and, and there's a thread through it of salvation for all of us. And that's what he begins to do here. He starts to look back at them and say, we need to start at the beginning. And what he does is he says, God started with a man named Abram. And what he begins to do is to tell them the history again of God's providential care and how he led this nation. The origin of the nation started with Abram. Now, the thing about Abram that's fascinating is that we find out that he's not a God follower exactly, and he's not a special person. He's not better than you or better than me. It's just that God reached down and blessed him. And God said, Abram, I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to make a nation out of you. Now, the funny thing about that was is Abram's an older guy, and he's looking around going, a nation? I don't even have an heir. I don't have any children. I don't have any offspring that you could do this with, Lord. But the Lord promised him that he and his wife, Sarai, would have a son. They cha- God changed their names later to what we call Abraham and Sarah. And you may be more familiar with them in that way. But God begins to speak to them and say, listen, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do something amazing in your life, and it's going to start there. But part of that favor led them to a place called Egypt where things weren't so favorable. The nation of Israel was enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And as they're enslaved, this is really important that we understand this. As they're enslaved, that was part of God's plan. It was part of God's plan for them to go through a difficult season. I don't believe any preacher that tells you that God doesn't ever want you to face difficulties because that's not true. It's not part of the biblical experience for anyone. You don't find any character in the scripture who just had pie in the sky. It doesn't work that way. There's no utopian uh, uh, life here on earth that we can attain if, if you're just good enough. It doesn't work that way. There were difficulties that they were going to have to face. But after they had been enslaved for 400 years in this captivity, there was deliverance. And God chose a man named Moses. And Moses brought the nation out of slavery and out of the land of Egypt. And when he did, they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. It's an amazing story. And that thread of deliverance is throughout the entire scripture. We serve a delivering God. He's a faithful God who delivers his people. That wasn't the only time that God parted a body of water for the people of of Israel. When they came into this new land, you may remember as we studied the book of Joshua, the Jordan River parted and the nation walked across on dry land. It was as if God was saying again, look, I'm the same God who led you across. I got this. I really have this. And if you'll just follow me and trust me, I'm going to use you. When Joshua finishes the discourse to the leadership, he gave them a present reminder. Look at verse 13, and we'll be able to see it. He says, I gave you a land on which you have not labored and cities which you had not built. And you have lived in them, and you're eating in vineyards and olive groves which you didn't plant. And at the beginning of our study in the book of Joshua, we talked about this conquest of the land. And it was the promised land as the inheritance that had been promised to Abraham. But Joshua had to lead them into this. Joshua was the one who had to lead them into the promised land. And it wasn't going to be easy. They were going to have to fight for it. They were going to have to take it. They were going to have to follow God. There were battles ahead. But Joshua was reminding them God did it. God did it. These things that that God had given us. It was land and and places that we didn't have to, God fought for us. With this in mind, Joshua does something familiar to us. He drew a line in the sand. I was a kid, 
watching a rerun of the Andy Griffith show uh, one time, and Opie had met a new kid in town named Steve. If you don't know Opie, Andy was a sheriff, Opie was his son. And there was this kid's name, Steve. He's a new kid in town, and Steve is a nefarious character. Steve has the kids in town stealing things that they shouldn't be taking and, and basically causing all kinds of problems. They're breaking out street lights and, and just wreaking havoc. And, and Opie decides that the time has come to make a decision. And Steve looks at him and says, you really going to do something about it? And he draws a line with his foot in the sand and says, cross that line. And little Opie, with his fist up, takes a step across the line. And Steve says, well, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And he puts something up on his shoulder, and he says, I dare you, knock that off my shoulder. And Opie knocks it off his shoulder. And then Steve draws a circle all around himself and says, I'm just daring you one last time, take a step in this circle. And Opie, Opie steps in that, in that circle, and, and Steve says, well, I'm wearing my good pants. i got to go home. I can't fight right now, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it just seems like there's a time where a line's drawn in the sand and you have to make a decision to cross over it. No matter what the consequences are of that decision, you, you, just, you find yourself having to make this decision to cross over. And, and I think that's, that's exactly what Joshua was doing here. Look back at verse 14. He says to the people... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua told the people it was time to be totally devoted to the living God, the Lord God. It was, it was time to put away the false gods. That wasn't to, supposed to be part of their lives anymore and they had to make a decision to do that. And as he's reminding them of this, he actually reminds them of their former ways as a nation of idolatry. When he spoke about the great river, he's talking about the great river, the river Euphrates. And, and as he does this, it's a reminder of where God had first called Abraham. He's in a place called Shechem. He's hanging out in this place. And it's exactly where God had called Abraham. And he's saying, look, when we were back beyond the great river, our father Abraham, he was an idolater. He was in a place where idolatry happened, but this is where God spoke to him. That same place was where Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had come and totally devoted him, himself to the Lord and put away the household idols from his life. So idolatry had been something that the nation had always struggled with. It was something that they had been dealing with. And what he's saying here is, look, this place right here has been special in our history. God has spoken to us here, and it's been a place where we've put away idols before. And it's time for us to do it again. Then he mentions Egypt. You know, these 400 years that they were enslaved in Egypt, they were inundated with false gods. The Egyptians worshipped the god of the Nile River. They worshipped the sky god. They worshipped the sun god. And idolatry was everywhere in Egypt, and evidently it had influenced the Israelites. And so Joshua begins to say, you got to remember this. Those gods, God took them out. And, and if you think about it, you remember that God sent plagues to Egypt trying to get Pharaoh to release the people. Do you remember that? And if you think about most of those plagues, they set themselves up against the false gods. The Nile River was turned to blood. The thing you worship turned to blood. Nothing could be eaten from it. The sky and the sun went dark. 
Now you've got to think about this. If you're an Israelite watching that happen in Egypt those, those years ago, if, if you're watching that happen, you've been maybe thinking that God is far away from you and that these false gods, maybe they're the true gods, and all you've been able to see is oppression and no hope. And God shows up and he makes a mockery of those gods. That must have been an unbelievable demonstration of power. Those plagues proved that God was with them. But look at verse 15. In verse 15, Joshua told them not to worship the gods they had been exposed to in the land they now inhabited. Look at that with me. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the the gods which your father serves which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. The Amorite gods were some of the absolutely most detestable. One of them was named Molech. Molech was a god of fire. And the most disturbing thing about Molech and the worship of Molech was that people who worshipped him sacrificed their own children in fire. It's un. unconscionable to think about that that you would worship a god where you burned your own children and sacrificed them that's what they were doing but they also had cultic worship that was mixed with temple prostitution horrible i just say this to you today one of the signs of something being cultic is that it mixes immorality with the religious It mixes immorality with the religious. And if you see that, the God who tells you not to be immoral will not tell you or someone they get an exemption from that. It doesn't work that way. And that's what was going on. And this is all around them. And I think it's really important for us to see that Joshua made it clear to the people that any of these gods was an option for them. He said, you've got to choose today. Look around you. There's gods right here that you could worship. Look back in our history, there were the gods in Egypt that were worshipped. Look back further in our history, there were gods on the other side of the great river that Abram and his family had worshipped. But, but what he's saying is you, you can't bury your head in the sand and pretend these things aren't around you. You have to live with an awareness. You have to be aware of what's going on. You have to understand that all around you is the temptation to be an idolater. And that's important for us to see. Joshua wasn't denying their existence. He didn't pretend they weren't right in front of the people. What he did was said, look around. And that's important for us today because we're inundated by false gods. They're everywhere. And Satan loves to steal worship that rightfully belongs to the living God. And that's what he does. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth and began his earthly ministry, he was immediately led after his baptism into the wilderness for a period of 40 days where he fasted and prayed. And at the end of that 40-day period, Satan came and began to tempt him. And Matthew chapter 4 actually records some of these temptations. But the last one is is very insightful for us today as we talk about the worship of false gods. Look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8 on the screen. Uh, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And there's a line of thinking that goes along with this temptation that many people believe what Satan was saying is, in Psalm chapter 2, the nations had been promised to Jesus. 
If you've never read that psalm, it's a fascinating psalm to read because the nations are promised as an inheritance to the Lord. All of the nations of the world will ultimately fall under his jurisdiction, reign, and rule. And it's as if Satan is saying, you don't need to go to the cross. Just worship me and I'll give it to you. What was a lie? He can't give what isn't his to begin with. And Jesus answered with scripture, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only God was worthy of worship and only God was going to give him the nations as an inheritance. Now you may think today that you don't have to worry about being an idolater. You're not worried about Molech. That's not a thing that you would do. You obviously are not engaged in cultic temple prostitution. So you, you, you just say, well, I've got a pass and then this isn't something that I deal with. But I think that that's uh, an issue that's not true for us because what we may be doing right now is worshiping something that takes the place of the Lord and we don't even realize it. Whatever you're worshiping, that's where your heart lies. Whatever you're worshiping, that's your heart's allegiance. And you may think you don't have to worry about it, but it's not true. You could be worshiping a person today. You could be trying to gain their approval or emulate them or or, or gain their favor, or, or maybe you're putting a child or a spouse or a loved one up on this pedestal and you're worshiping your children or a person. We never think about worshiping our children or worshiping a false god by sacrificing our children, but if we place them up on a pedestal and we begin to worship them and live our lives for them to the exclusion of God, we're in dangerous territory. It could be something as simple as a frivolous activity, recreational activity. We love pleasure. We think in America that we exist for pleasure. We believe that all the things that are peripheral to our lives are the most important things in our lives. But pleasure is a terrible God to worship because it never delivers on its promises. Many of us are just worshiping ourselves and we don't even realize it. All we think about is me. I just think about me. I want to please me. I want to do what's right for me. I'm constantly obsessed with myself. I don't think about others. It's all about me. Well, every one of us deals with false gods. They vie for our attention. And what they really vie for is control in our lives. They love it when we turn our back on the living God to worship something that won't last. So what's the answer? How do we keep these things in check? How do we do exactly what Joshua is saying? How is it that we turn our back on the false gods, maybe that our parents worshipped or that our ancestors worshipped? How do we turn our back on that and say, God and God alone is the only God that I will serve. I give my life to the living God. How do we do it? Well, he told them they could serve any God available in their present circumstances, but he challenged them to compare the alternatives to make sure they knew the differences between the false gods. And if you don't want to serve the living God, he says, so be it. But he gives us an answer in verse 15. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua determined several things that were distinctive here. The first thing that he concerned himself with in serving the Lord was his own life. And that's where it starts, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is a very important point for us to understand. Faith doesn't come from outside of us. It doesn't come that someone else gives it to us. We, we don't get faith because a relative had faith. We don't get faith because we grew up in a Christian home. 
You get faith when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, right? That's how it works. And Joshua says, the line's drawn in the sand and I'm stepping across. Starting with me, I'm going to serve the Lord. Now let's think about what that means. What he's saying there is really important for us to correctly understand. He's saying, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Every man or woman, boy or girl, has to make this decision for themselves. And Joshua's standing up, raising his hand this morning and saying, I did that. I have given my life to Christ. This is my confession of faith. And if you've never done that, I want to encourage you this morning to give your life to the living God to turn your back on all the things that vie for our attention, to turn your back on all the false gods of this world that cannot deliver on any of their promises. Gods fashioned by humans are not gods. They're not gods. We serve a God who's not in need of anything we could give him. You can look to all of the gods of this world, but they won't satisfy No person can satisfy a longing in life. No job, no amount of money, prestige, not even yourself. A relationship with Christ is the primary need in all of our lives because we need to have our sins forgiven. That's it. See, we have this this separation from God, and we try to fill it up. We try to fill that gulf up with all of these things. But the separation from God came from our own doing. We can't get out of it on our own. And so God sent Christ to die in our place. All other gods pale in comparison to the living God. But the second thing that he said is very instructive for us as well. It's distinctive, isn't it? He says, as for me, and then he says, and my house. And my house. He's saying that everyone who's living under my care and my leadership, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, this is a funny thing. Too many times we think that faith is something that, this is a decision I've made and it doesn't affect anyone else and I don't need to bring that home. It's something I do on Sunday. It it doesn't need to go to work with me. And what happens is we live our lives as if faith is just this personal decision. You kind of keep closeted up and boxed up. But Joshua didn't say that. He said, as for me and my house, and that encompasses the household. So let's think about that for a second. What he's saying is, If it comes in my house, it's going to honor God. Too many of us have things coming into our homes, they don't honor God. We're not protecting the house. We're we're not worried about the filters that we need to place. And, And here's what I mean by that. We have to filter out the world and ask ourselves these critical questions. Is this thing coming into my house honoring God? But too many of us live oblivious. So we let these things come into our house. And our houses don't honor God. We have children in our homes. It's a fascinating thing to me when a parent tells me about a child or a teenager that they don't feel like they should make them come to church or do anything. And I'm like, well, that's that's fascinating. Do you make them do their homework? Do you make them eat food that's healthy for them? Do you make them drive the speed limit when you give them a car? We make them do all of those things, but we don't make them do anything else. If you're living under my house, I don't have a choice when my children are grown. They can choose as they will, and yours can too. Our grandchildren, they grow and they choose as they want. But in our house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live by the standards of the Scripture. That starts and ends with the adults in the home, folks. 
we come home, we model it, we live it, we teach it, we filter the things coming into our house. That means that we say no to things that don't honor God. It means making tough decisions about friends that don't influence us or our families in the right way. It means being careful to watch everything that we allow to come into our house. Well, that's what Joshua was saying about his house. He's saying, I'm not going to be hiding any household idols. This is the kind of house Joshua had. You ever been to somebody's house and you knock on the door and there's a bunch of scurrying going on? Not at his house because there's nothing to hide. There's no household idol you've got to bury somewhere. He's not like Achan who we studied who, who took things that, that didn't belong to him and he buried them. Joshua has nothing to hide. He's saying, I've made a declaration and a decision. If you show up at my house, this is how it's going to be. We're going to serve the Lord. Earlier in this passage, he had told them it was time to choose. But the tense of the word that he used there to encourage the people to choose the Lord may be a little bit lost on us. Because the tense of the verb that he used was not just an act that would be done once and for all. It actually involved continuous action. Listen to what the famous scholar Francis Schaeffer said about this. And I quote, This was the character of Joshua. He chose and he chose and he chose and he kept right on choosing. He understood the dynamics of choice, once and for all choice, existential choice as well. This is the word to the people was not an ambition puffed up upon the spur of the moment, but it was deeply embedded in Joshua's comprehension of what is required of a person made in the image of God, one called by God not to obey God like a machine or an animal, but to obey God by choice. All throughout the Bible, we see how the people of God had to choose God, but then you keep choosing God. They had to keep choosing him over and over. It starts with a hard and fast choice, or what we might call a once and for all choice, right? That's when salvation comes to your life. But that's not enough. It's not enough to say, I chose God when I was younger, right? Or, or five years ago, I gave my life to Christ. That won't get it. Because every day you have to wake up and choose again and again and again and again. It's not enough to say, well, I, cho- I chose him once. But then ever since then, I've just lived my life how I've wanted to. That's what Joshua's saying is the problem. He's saying we choose, choose again, and choose again, and choose again day by day because each day brings a new God to be worshipped, a new lust to be satisfied, a new temptation that we have to choose the Lord on this day. So you have to choose today, and Joshua modeled it for us. He determined that following God was good enough for him and his household, and he preached it to all those around him and encouraged them to do the exact same. You know, I've found the living God to be faithful. I have found the living God to keep his word. I've found the living God to be righteous and holy And when he gives a promise, he backs it up. When he gives a command, it's good for my life. And that's the kind of God I want to serve. I want to serve a God, not of my own making, that makes it easy. I want to serve a God that tells me the truth. I want to serve a God 
that demands my whole heart. I don't want to serve him half-heartedly, and I chose him a long time ago, but I want to choose him again today. I want to choose him again tomorrow. When temptation comes, I want to choose him then. When another God comes vying for my attention, when another idol sets itself up against the knowledge of the living God, I want to choose him again. And it may be today that you have never chosen the living God. You're still playing around with all of the gods of this world. I want to tell you, listen to me. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If it's disagreeable for you to serve the Lord, then fine. Serve the gods of your fathers. Serve the gods of this world. Serve the gods who don't last. But understand this. There is a day coming where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God the Father, no matter which God you serve now. If you're a Christian, a Christ follower, choose again. What's what's setting itself up right now in your mind and in your life to make you choose something different? What is it? You have to look at that and you have to look at the living God and you have to choose. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Every day. When you go to work tomorrow, you need to choose the Lord. When you come home, you need to choose the Lord. When you're out enjoying God's creation, choose the Lord. When you're on vacation, choose the Lord. When it's easy, choose the Lord. When it's hard, choose the Lord. When it's not popular, choose the Lord. When everybody thinks it's a great idea, choose the Lord. Choose you this day again. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And as we pray, I want to know this morning that you've chosen the Lord. I want to start with the Christians this morning. Those of you who are Christ followers. Maybe today there's one of you, two, many, all, all of us who just need to choose again today. Because something has been vying for our soul's worship. No one's looking around. It's just me. But as a confession before the Lord today of choosing him again and again and again. If that's where you're at and you're needing to choose the Lord again today. Would you just slip your hand up so that I can pray for you as a confession before the Lord. Amen. I see those all around. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. It's a bold declaration for us, isn't it? To say, I have to choose again. But you know what's so great about that is that the way back to God is the same way as we got to him. It's faith in Christ and repentance. 
changing our minds to walk in a different direction. Right now, I'm going to pray that that would take place in your life. Father, for our, those who are Christ's followers this morning who need to choose you again, they have boldly declared their dependence on you. And Father, there's something in their heart that is vying for their soul's worship. But together with them, we repent of that and we choose again the living God. Forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us from an idolatrous spirit. And help us today and tomorrow and every day that we have to choose you. Now, secondly, it could be that you've never given your life to the living Lord Jesus Christ, the living God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And if you've never done that, the scripture says the way you get there is just what I mentioned. You repent and declare your need for the Lord. Give your life to him. The Bible says if you confess him as Lord, that means to say it out loud and believe it, and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We serve a living God. He's not in the grave. And if you need to do that this morning, maybe like some of the believers have said, something was stirring in their heart. If that's been stirring in your heart, I want you to slip your hand up and make sure that I see it and hold it up. Anybody this morning who needs to give their life to Christ, you've never done that before. Father, as we enter into this time of response, we give you our lives. And as we sing, Lord, let this be a declaration of our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.